0: Well, thank you for being here. It's kind of rainy and dark out and not a particularly lovely evening, but we're grateful that you're here worshiping God together with us here to hear a message uh, from the Scripture. We pray that God will speak to you and your hearts and that you will walk away having heard from him. So let me pray and we'll get started. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to To share a message from your word, I pray that these words of mine from my lips would be a pleasing offering in your sight, that your people's hearts would receive what I have to say because ultimately it's your Holy Spirit speaking through me. Bless our time together, in Jesus' name, amen. this summer was a pretty rough summer on some of your yards. Uh, I know our yard died. We went away on vacation around July, and the end of June, it was looking beautiful. it was great, it was green. And then we got back two weeks later, and it was like someone had taken pesticide and just sprayed the entire yard. Everything was dead. And we got one of our neighbors while we were away to water uh, Monica's garden, and it's been relatively stable through the summer. It's not like flourishing, uh, but it's alive. And this week, I was looking at her garden. I was showing it off, and it's full of tomatoes, green tomatoes, some red tomatoes. And I was, as I was looking at this garden, I noticed there was a tiny little plant, a little shrub that was hiding and I looked down, and there was this green uh, the pea, a pea pod. And I was so excited. Well, look, something else besides tomatoes is growing in your garden, Monica. So I reached down, and I picked it. And then I took it, and I looked at it, and I realized, oh, this is actually a green pepper. Okay, well, score still. Doing great. And I took it inside, and I was so happy. I was showing Monica. I was like, look, look what I found in your garden. She said, yeah, I know, I was waiting for it to ripen. <laughs> it's actually supposed to be a red pepper. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Who knows how this pepper will fare? Maybe it will ripen off the, uh, the little uh, plant, little vine. I-, I certainly hope so, but I don't know. I don't know. See, I needed some training, right? I needed some help. I needed some gardening skills to make a good gardener. Now, today we're starting a new series called Fruitfulness on the Frontline that in one way is about gardening. It's about God's kingdom and gardening the little plots of this world that he gives us. This series is about being fruitful. Fruitful in those places that God places us every single day. Now, the series is called Fruitfulness on the Frontline, uh, the, the, the organization that put this out, the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, it's, uh, it's John Stott's organization. Uh, they put out this wonderful graphic, and they have defined what a frontline is. Your frontline is the place where you spend the majority of your time outside the church, where you are in contact with non-Christians. So our front lines are those places that we live, that we work, that we interact with people that don't consider Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior. So this could be your office. If you go to a a cubicle, maybe this is, uh, you know, if you are in production, this is your uh, assembly line. This could be a classroom if you're currently going to school. Or maybe it's uh, some of your classmates if you already graduated and you're finding a new job. It's that job. This could also be your gym. So if you're around the same sorts of people throughout the week, that's your front line. Uh, my front lines are my neighborhood, my street. I live on Clark Ave in Chelmsford, and there's uh, a few houses, and I know all of my neighbors. And then it's also my gym. I do CrossFit a couple times a week. But if you don't necessarily go to a job or a gym, you still have a front line. It could be the grocery store, Market Basket, or Whole Foods, where you see the same people week after week, the same checkout person. It could be your extended family that isn't Christians, that aren't believers, but but still need to hear the message of Jesus. It's those people that God has placed in your life so that you might be a gospel witness, a witness about Jesus. These are our front lines. Now, Paul is writing a letter, the book of Colossians. And in our series, we're going to be looking at a variety of scripture passages. This is going to we're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to be in the book of Colossians uh, 3 of these 8 weeks in this series. And the Apostle Paul, he was a leader in the early Christian church, he wrote a letter to the Colossians, called uh, to, the, to the people at the town of Colossae, and he named that letter Colossians. And in this letter, he thanks God for these early Christians. So he starts the letter, sometimes he's not so uh, happy about the, the local believers, but in this letter, he's thrilled. He's excited, and you know why? It's because they're fruitful. They're being fruitful in their gardens. Colossians 1, 6 says this, In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Paul is painting a picture here of a tiny seed and uh, that seed is planted, it takes root, it sprouts and then uh, it grows up into a beautiful plant and begins to produce more fruit that then uh, produces further plants. This is a picture of the gospel that it's growing. Now when we say gospel, what do we mean? Now, the word gospel means good news, and uh, there's a way that I usually describe it, but I wanted to look at how the book of Colossians defines the gospel. In Colossians chapter one, verses 21 and 22, you can glance at it if you want, uh, the scripture defines what gospel means. It's this simple truth. See, when we were created, we were created perfect, we were created good. But then Adam and Eve they sinned, they, they broke the relationship with God, and suddenly people that had been great friends with God, a man and a woman, they became enemies of God because they, they chose to rebel against God. And this isn't a good rebellion, this is a bad rebellion. And Colossians says the gospel is the good news that enemies of God can once more be friends of God. This is great news. This is great news for all of humanity, anyone, because we're all broken. We're all sinful. We all need to be rescued from this war. And the only one that can rescue us is our enemy, God. See, because truthfully, he's the right side. He's the good side. We wanna be on his side. So that's verse 21, and then 22 defines how how do we get rescued? Well, it's through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had to pay the penalty for our sins through his physical death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. In other words, Enemies can get a whole new record, a whole new slate, a whole new beginning, so that uh, when God looks at our record, he doesn't see the opposition's record. He sees the the record of his own son, Jesus Christ, which is perfect. He never sinned. He never fell into the enemy camp. So Paul defines the gospel, and he says this gospel is taking root. In other words, the, the believers at Colossae, they're believing this good news, they're repenting of their sins. They're being reconciled to God. That means the relationship with God is healing. And then they're going out and they're sharing this good news with others. And the gospel is multiplying. It's, it's making more believers, more converts, more disciples. And now Paul needs to train them to train them even further how to be good fruit bearers. Just like I could have used some training in gardening, Paul is training them. And this is especially important in Colossae because predators have broken into the garden. Predators are seeking to... sow false lies to nibble away at the good fruit and how these predators are doing this is that they're spreading lies about Jesus Christ and so one of the first things Paul is going to do is teach them who Jesus is and what he came to do and that's part of their training being good gardeners and he's going to do this through an early Christian hymn so we were listening to some hymns as we took communion well, there were some early Christian hymns at the founding of the church, and verses 15 through 20 are absolutely beautiful. We could probably read that 20 times, and it would be better than anything that I can share with you tonight. It's gorgeous. If you want to be a great gardener, we have to learn about the greatest of gardeners, the master gardener, Christ Jesus himself. And this is where our passage starts in verse 15. See, Jesus is the chief gardener. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over over all of creation. Jesus is the master gardener. Now at the end of Jesus's ministry, after his resurrection, so after he's risen from the grave, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and she has a, a visit with some angels and then she leaves and she runs into a man who she mistakes for a gardener. And that gardener is Christ Jesus. See, he is a gardener, and it doesn't just begin after his resurrection. He's been a gardener for all of creation, for all of time. See, in verse 15, the Son, so the Son is Jesus. Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. This means that he was with God at the beginning, This means that the very first verses of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, this means in the beginning, the sun also created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. He spoke, let there be light. He spoke, let there be stars and luminaries and the moon and sun and land and sky. Genesis 1.11 says this, so I've inserted Jesus' name. You could also insert the Son. Genesis 1.11, then the Son said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and it was so. Jesus is a master gardener. He has been there since the beginning. He is the firstborn of all creation. Uh, creation comes through him. How is this possible that Jesus was there at the beginning? If he's the firstborn of creation, doesn't that mean, well, he was the first created being? That God created Jesus and then kind of Jesus created everyone else? Well, no, that's not what that means. Because if you look at verse 15 again, it starts by saying, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The Son is the image of the invisible God. See, Jesus. When he was born, he became the God who we could see. He was always God. So if you think about eternity going forward and eternity going backward, Jesus was always the Son in eternity going backward. And he will always be the Son in eternity going forward. forward. The word image means, uh, it's the Greek word icon. So the New Testament's written in Greek. It's the, the Greek word icon. Now, maybe some of you know what an icon is. And if you look at like little statues, we, we have icons of, so like if you go to a Catholic church, you're going to see more icons than you would in our church, but you might see uh, a crucifix. That's like an icon or a picture, a little statue of Mary. That's kind of an icon. Now, we don't have those things here. One of the reasons is ultimately we believe Jesus is the image of God. We don't need to make, and we have a cross, but we don't need to uh, make little images because Jesus is the perfect reflection of God. He's the perfect likeness. Another way you can translate icon or image is idol. Think about that for a moment. An Idol is a representation of an animal, a person, or even a deity. Jesus is the perfect representation of his father, If you think about it, also Genesis 1, it talks about humans. We're made in the image of God. That's also amazing. We're also meant to reflect God, but Jesus did so perfectly. See, Jesus is the master gardener. Through him, all of creation flourishes. And there's good news in this passage, verses 16 through 17. And 19 through 20 teach us that through Jesus all things can flourish. All things do flourish when they are being led and and, and nurtured by Christ Jesus, the master gardener, the chief gardener. Now verse 16, it tells us that Jesus helped create everything, that everything that was ever created came through Jesus. And this means two things. One, Jesus was not created So there are some beliefs, some systems, some religions that say, ah, Jesus was, uh, uh, you know, when he was born, he was coming into existence. Well, that's not the case with Jesus at all. Another truth that this teaches us is that all of creation is good. Because Jesus is good. Jesus is pure. And if he was there bringing creation in, and all of creation is good. And we see that reflected in the very first chapter of the Bible where it says, God saw that it was good. The sun saw that it was good. What did Jesus create? What did God create uh, through the sun? He created everything that's visible and everything that is invisible. Everything that we can see, everything that we can't see. And I like that verse 16 uh, sort of gives examples of visible things. It says thrones and rulers. Well, in one sense, uh, the sun creates kingdoms and kings. We just got done with a series called No Fear November. We learned that God raises up kings. He, He raises up presidents. What are examples of things that are invisible? Well, just look at authorities and powers. Those things could be angelic beings, so angels, demons. Uh, Jesus, the, God created angels and they fell, but still God is in control of those things. Now, let's bring it back a moment. Let's look at our, let's think about our context and as we look around. This means that through Christ Jesus, through the Son, everything that's visible came into being. So Jesus, the son, created granite. He created rocks. He created trees. The beech tree, he created that. The oceans, the Atlantic, Jesus created that. Plums, potatoes, puppies, people, pterodactyls, that also starts with a P. Jesus created all of those things. They're also, uh, they they came through him. He also created things that are invisible. And we think, okay, so spiritual things, heaven, he created that. He created angels, yes, but he also created electricity. (laughs) He also created uh, physics and gravity. The wind created your soul. It's pretty cool, the master that we believe in, the chief gardener, isn't it? Now, notice in our passage, it says that everything, all of creation, was created for him. So for Jesus, for the Son, and through him. And that all things hold together through the Son. Think about that for a moment, that everything's for Jesus. He wants to be involved in it, and that he is holding it together. Now, Monica and I recently went to uh, the Rockefeller Center in New York City. And outside of the Rockefeller Center, there's this huge statue of Atlas. Now, maybe you guys know who Atlas is. He's that Greek titan that was cursed forever to hold up a big globe on his back. And I actually learned this week that that globe is not the world. It is not the earth. It is a representation of the celestial kind of sphere. So he's cursed to hold up the sky, actually, and the stars. But if you look at a, you know a statue or a picture of this, he's like straining, he's, he's tired, he doesn't want to do this, this is a curse, he'd rather be done with the stars, he'd rather go away. That's the opposite of our king. That's the opposite of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the God who humbled himself and he took on human flesh, he, he took on a heart, he took on fingers, he took on nails and uh, toenails and, and, and toes and And he became like you and me. And he entered into the garden to walk around. See, because God cares about everything that's visible, not just those invisible things. He cares about all of creation. And even now, Jesus Christ is sustaining everything. So if Jesus decided, I want everything to end, everything would end. But that's not the God that we believe in. Now, this applies to you and me in our everyday lives. As we think about our front lines, it means that Jesus cares about everything that we see every single day. In other words, he cares about those people around us. He cares about our coworkers. He cares about our friends. He cares about our neighbors. He cares about our communities. He cares about those places that we live, our neighborhoods. And if everything was created through him, and it was when it was originally created, it was perfect, we're going to learn that he's He's seeking to restore that. And so everything that is visible, that's, that is, is broken, is marred by sin, but Jesus is restoring it to something good. So I have a question. I have a question for you. Do you believe that Jesus can restore everything that's visible in your life. Those, those broken things that you experience, whether it's your family or a bad relationship at work or a bad relationship with a neighbor. Jesus can make those things flourish. Why do I know that? Because he is the image of the invisible God, because he is the firstborn of all creation, and he can renew your creation that he's given you to steward. You know what? He usually likes to do it through people like me and people like you, who are broken, who probably shouldn't be involved in the process because we're going to pick the wrong type of plant. But Jesus wants to use us. See, through Jesus, all things flourish, and this flourishing, this 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 kind of recreation, this re the, this renewal, it comes at incredibly great cost. And that's what verses 19 and 20 are about. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. So that flourishing, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, Jesus created everything pure, everything good. The Son created everything pure, everything good. And we broke it. (laughs) That's what we did at the beginning, we introduced sin. Can't look out into the world and blame God. We got to blame ourselves. But Jesus is seeking to restore all of creation, everything that's broken, at the cost of his own blood. He has already begun this process. Verse 20 talks about his blood being shed. And the ESV says that through the blood shed on his cross, so not his blood shed on the cross, it says through blood shed on his cross. That's what the the original language says too. See, Jesus doesn't use a garden shovel or a rake or gardening gloves to do his flourishing. He uses his cross. (laughs) That's his gardening tool. He uses the message of suffering, of death, but also of redemption. This message is enough. Our vision as a church is a gospel-centered church that changes lives, so we want to see lives changed. And it's not through a really cool worship service or really cool mugs or a really great bulletin. It's through sharing the message of Jesus Christ in word and deed. And we're getting out there and we're seeking to make creation flourish. We're seeking to uh, bring reconciliation, healing to all those people around us. See, Jesus paid the ultimate price with his blood. He was covered in dirt in one way, allegorically. He was covered in my dirt and your dirt if you know him. He was covered in the filth of anyone that would put their trust in him. He was covered in my hell. He was covered in my death. And if you know him, he is covered in your death too. And then he was laid in a tomb. He wasn't buried six feet under. Same idea. He was laid in a tomb. And praise God that when Jesus rose three days later on Easter morning, that, that sin didn't rise with Jesus. My sin, my hell, my death stayed in the grave. It stayed in the tomb. And Jesus rose. He was glorious. He was, he was anew. He could, he could walk through walls. He could disappear. People didn't recognize him. He was so transformed. That's a picture of what you and I will one day look like if we have a real relationship with Christ Jesus because our sins are gone. Now we're clean. Now we're pure. Jesus has given all of his goodness to us, and he has more left over for every single person that would put their faith in him. And if you don't know Jesus, wow, there's so much goodness waiting for you. There's so much holiness. There's so much cleanliness and if you know him, that, that, that cleanliness is perfect. No matter what this life, what this world, what your coworkers or neighbors or friends throw at you, their dirt, you'll be spotless, you'll be clean. This should give us immense hope. Because maybe your front line, maybe the place where you live and breathe and do most of your activity, maybe it feels kind of like a desert or a barren wasteland, it feels dead, (laughs) right? It feels like nothing good could ever happen there. Well, we believe in a God who raises the dead, who brings life out of death, even in those tough relationships. We believe in a God of miracles, who still does a miracle every single time someone puts their faith in Christ. Amen. Amen. This will begin to make things right. The message of Jesus Christ will begin to make things right. Now, that's actually a line from one of my favorite movies. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, apologize right up front because it is a reference to Star Wars. The very first line of the newest Star Wars is, This will begin to make things right. Star Wars, The Force Awakens. And fans have a theory that uh, it was a secret jab at uh, the, the director, George Lucas, of the original. So the original, it was, it was a perfect creation, right? And the first three, it was beautiful, it was entertaining. And then kind of the Star Wars universe fell into sin, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know I have some Star Wars fans, and if, if you're not a Star Wars fan, I'm alienating you, I'm sure. But uh, those, those next three were just like, oh, no one wants that. And there was this gap. There was this gap of time. And finally, we have a new series. We have a new creation. This will begin to make things right. We have a new director. (laughs) Do you believe Jesus can begin to make things right in your life? Because he can. It's a silly illustration, but he can. And the Bible is all about Jesus beginning to make things right in our lives. You can make your job right, your family right, your, your neighborhood right. This doesn't mean that, you know, you'll get a promotion, you'll get a raise. That's not it at all. That Jesus hopefully will be lifted up in your neighborhood, that he will be raised up, that he'll be magnified, that people will experience the king of kings through your relationship with them. This isn't going to be easy. True ministry, true uh, kind of uh, gardening is dirty, Right? You go out, you spend a day in the garden, you're covered in filth. So if we're truly reaching our front lines, it's going to get messy. The the closer we get to people that don't know God, the the rougher it might feel. But remember, your holiness is not dependent on your relationships with non-Christians. Your holiness is dependent on your relationship with Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was accused of eating and drinking with sinners. He was called a glutton. People didn't like him. Jesus calls to get messy just like that. Come and dig in the garden with Jesus. You'll get dirty, but it'll be good. That's my big idea. That's kind of my main point. Come and dig in the garden with Jesus. Just a simple reminder and see, this is what we're called to do as a church, come and dig in the garden with Jesus. See, the church gardens too. Jesus in verse 18 is called the head of the church, the head of the body, the church. So what does it mean to be a head? It means you're the source. You're, you're the, the source, the leader. The source provides the nourishment, right? Your mouth, kind of you eat and you're, you're nourished, Right? Jesus is nourishing us. He's filling us up. We get nourished through uh, things like this, a worship service, a coming to communion, or our personal times of prayer, devotion, fellowship with other Christians. That's Christ nourishing us and empowering us and filling us up so that we can go and we can do what's hard. And then he's the leader. That means he, he leads us. He doesn't just give us all this energy so that we can come back and we can eat another meal and get fuller and fuller and fuller. He nourishes us so that we can go out and we can expend some energy, right? So that we can go out on mission. Our mission as a church is reflective of the scriptures, to make mature and multiply followers of Jesus. That means we want people to come to know him, we want to grow them in the faith, and we want to send people back out. This comes from the Bible. See, we garden because we want to bring people to Jesus. Verse 18 says that it's all about Christ. It's all for his supremacy, that that in everything he might have supremacy. See, we want Jesus to be glorious. We want him to be famous. It's all for him. And it's not because we're earning something, it's because he has earned it all and we're just praising him. It's an act of praise. The church gardens uh, in two ways, together and apart Now, this comes from the Scriptures. We just looked at at how God cares about everything that's visible, that's invisible, all of creation. So first, we garden together. We call this the gathered church. I have brought an interesting dot chart for you to look at. Now, what does it mean to be the gathered church? So the majority of the gray dots in in this picture... They represent non-Christians. They represent non-believers in our lives, in our towns, in our communities. And the seven red dots clumped in the bottom right corner, those represent us. Those are the Christians, the believers, right? Now, this, this, this paradigm illustrates what we're doing here today. We are gathering together and we're doing a worship service, and it's wonderful Other ways we can gather is if we do like an outreach event where we all kind of invite our friends and we have a day of outreach like the Trunk or Treat. That's coming up. And these are all wonderful things. These are all good things. But we have limited ability to reach the gray dots. How many gray dots are we touching? We're only touching about eight. And if we look at our kind of gathered ministry, our gathered church worship, well, we can only reach maybe one to five first-time guests a week, and we don't know if they're non-Christians. And if we do, like, a trunk-or-treat or or some other, like, invite uh, parents' night off, you can only reach so many non-Christians, right? Maybe 100 uh, people at a successful outreach event. Now, this is why Jesus said in the Great Commission, go. Go and make disciples, because this is a picture of the scattered church. See, when we're not in the church building, we're still the church, church people, now, this, this, this graph is, is supposed to represent what your life looks like the other days of the week, Monday through Friday, right? Notice that when we're not all clumped together, when we're not all gathered, we have a lot more access to those gray dots, right? So if we can have 100 people at a successful outreach event, I bet you individually maybe interact with 5 to 20 non-Christians every single day. So that's just an average, 5 to 15, 20, maybe even 30 now, in this chart, we see 52 gray dots touching the seven red dots. And, and that means that as, as you go through your week, let's say you do interact. So we have roughly 60 uh, adults at Cornerstone. Let's say 60 each interact with a non-Christian, 10 non-Christians, uh, let's say most days of the week. So if 600 adults, if six. Sixty adults are here, and each of us is around ten non Christians each day. We are already reaching about six hundred people each day, right six hundred non Christians that were around each day. Now are we taking advantage of those gardens? are we are we plowing or are we, are we trying to uh, nurture and bring flourishing and bring fruit to all those people? See how much more effective we put all this time and energy into the gathered events, and those are important. But if each of us takes ownership for what God is calling us to and seeks to reach those that he has given us, we're going to be far more effective because we just have greater access. This is the mission of the scattered church. We gather to worship, to serve, but then we also scatter. and We're still on mission to reach others. This series, The Fruitfulness on the Frontline, will teach you how to be kind of the scattered church, how you can be fruitful in your garden. We're gonna go through, there's six different ways and I encourage you to pick up a free copy of one of the books that we have and read it as we go through the series. Sign up for a small group so that you can kind of work through with friends uh, what it means to be fruitful on your front line. You need encouragement, you need accountability and these groups are perfect for that. Come and dig in the garden with Jesus. This is the big idea, and I wanted to close by showing you some pictures of gardens just to get you inspired. The Westford Community Gardens, this is a picture of them, and they are right down the street. You can walk five minutes, or in my case this week, you can drive, uh, and this is a picture of those gardens. Did you know that local families wake up at about 5 a.m. every single day so that they can go to the gardens, they can pick weeds, and they can water And then on the way home, uh, they might stop and pick some vegetables and take those home too. What if every single day when you wake up to start your day or you wake up to start your work, you thought, you know, I'm going to my garden today. I'm going to that place that God has called me. I'm going to water a little bit. I'm going to pray for my garden. I'm going to pray for those people around me. And I'm going to trust that maybe not today, but one day I'll be able to pick some fruit and God will move. Don't you want to see fruitfulness on our front lines? I certainly do. Don't you want to see gardens grow? Maybe you have a barren field, but God can produce sunflowers. (laughs) He can produce all sorts of fruit. He can produce vines. I don't know what type of uh, vine this is. Leafy greens and whatever that is. (laughs) He can produce all sorts of fruits on your garden. Maybe you feel like you just can't do it, that, that you're, uh, just, you're so awkward and so incapable uh, that you're just going to do something wrong. Well, God can even use garden gnomes <laughs> to make a beautiful garden. Come and dig in the garden with Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this service. Thank you for the time to, to dive into your Colossians, learn about you, learn about the church. I pray that you would strengthen and encourage us and empower us to be fruitful on our front lines. I pray that you would use this offering to bless both the mission of when we gather together to worship you and when we scatter. Would you help us use these offerings wisely? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.